0: For April 17th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 772. I'm not a dairy girl, not yet a dairy woman. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet on the political scene coming at you with hot takes about the political beat on the political... topics and the political news of the political day we love hot takes and we love how angry it makes everybody all the time to uh you know we want your 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 toasty takes via email uh no none of that is true but uh i'm not rather your political host and i'm here with political pete fenzel pete i'm on one side of an issue
1: I'm on the other side. (laughs) And And I'm a pirate, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a pirate.
0: (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. That's your your, your foreshadowing the the joke. And Mark Lee. Mark is, uh... uh, Mark, Mark, I believe X.
2: I believe, uh... Things that are vague and be mealy mouthed about them. Am I doing the bit right? What is the bit, Matt? Tell me what, the bit
1: is. <laughs> what? What no, the great answer mark was I believe in the sine of X over the cosine of
0: X. <laughs> ah, there you go. So uh our you see, we're we're uh we're uh got this got this podcast. We got a we got a hot topical podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it kind wait, of is wait wait it's hold not, on
2: not hot topic
0: sorry no the uh, a hot topic podcast would be something else but a hot comma topical podcast is uh you know is is what we're doing turns out that uh president biden of the united states uh has spent some time over the last week visiting northern ireland and uh, the republic of ireland uh Northern Ireland to commemorate uh, the anniversary of the the signing of the good friday accords and uh, is it one accord or are there several accords is it properly the good Pri- friday accord or accords i always uh, thought it
1: was a plural
2: and it's titled uh, in wikipedia as the good friday the good friday agreement he's oh got it
0: okay got it so i so i shouldn't i i shouldn't have made all these t-shirts with good friday accordions on them that we can uh (laughs) that we were going to sell in the in the the the, you know store area of the website and uh, the
1: next weird yankovic movie
0: and then um and then uh president biden also visited the republic of ireland uh where you know some of his family is descended from and and um though they were this this second visit was visits it was sort of of a personal nature there was uh uh you know some delightful video that that came out of it of him uh quoting irish poets and entering to the dropkick murphys and all all kinds of wonderful uh all kinds of wonderful things and and it it made us realize that we had been um you know, we had been, uh, watching Dairy Girls kind of on and off over the last several years and, uh, never podcasted, uh, never podcasted about it. And it's, um, you know, uh, takes place in, in the, the, the nineties, you know, when, when we were all teenagers. And, uh, I don't know, has some sort of wonderful, wonderful things about it. And the, uh, the, uh, one of them is that it, it is a comedy show about a, a, Sort of troubled time in, uh, you know, troubled time in, in history. I mean, uh, so, so troubled, in fact, they named it that. And, uh, you know, the, the, um, strife, sectarian violence, uh, you know, the, the, um, all kinds of, uh, uh, all kinds of, all kinds of, uh, bad stuff that happened in Northern Ireland between the, uh, between the, the Catholics and the Protestants. And, um, yeah the, and
2: the, yep and the enmity which still continues to this day even though right great progress has been made just like one other thing that makes this discussion all the more topical is that um oh please don't let me botch these terms here right the united kingdom and the european union agreed to um a trade agreement uh come from the fallout of brexit right which created a very awkward situation that um Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland were both no longer in the European Union, and they had to um, fix that somehow with the uh, aforementioned awkward, mealy-mouthed discussion of trying to take both sides of the same issue um, while kind of saying nothing at all.
1: Whatever so it is, that's sure it's not final on. and it'll be debated for the next, like, five years in various parliaments and whatnot. Try um, 50. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that really jumps out to me about this this thing that's happening this Biden going to to Northern Ireland and and only Biden could go to Ireland, right? <laughs> <laughs> at least with that smile on his face. He's so happy about it. It's like the one thing he really wanted to do. But but um, more than that, it's interesting to go from we're now old enough that we can look at events that have happened that we remember from when we were younger, where there was commentary and and uh, kind of drama and comedy set against the backdrop of these things that were happening it was contemporary to the thing that was happening and that becomes historical in retrospect and now there's stuff that's made where it's historical i mean it it's sort of like the next step in stranger thingsing the uh, our childhood where it's like oh yeah now the 80s are retro and and can be engaged with not just as you know a time but as a retro time and there's a retro <laughs> time about which there is like interpreted narrativized, you know, uh, consensus opinions uh, that, that are identifiable, if not consensus opinions, sort of resonant, strong cultural expressions that then pick up in other places, you know, hockey cuts and mullets and whatnot. Um, but that now, you know, you can watch Dairy Girls, a comedy against the historic backdrop of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. It's on Netflix. Uh, you watch other places, too. It's super great. Great show. And it's not like Patriot Games, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, which is not comedy. Uh, the Tom Clancy book and, and then movie, which also take place with regards to like the IRA and IRA splinter groups and the relationship between kind of Irish Americans and Irish people, which is something that if you're like me, you know, have an Irish American background, mostly uh, you kind of experience in the time of the troubles. It's kind of like a weird cultural thing. Uh like that was be that's contemporary, right? Like that was happening at the time. Like with nineteen eighty seven book, that was still going on, right? Um whereas with Dairy Girls, you're now looking back at something that happened. We did the math, what, like was it twenty-five years ago? Is that what it is the anniversary of? Um yep. the Good Friday uh, agreement, the Good Friday Civics, the Good Friday Accords, the Good Friday Pilots, The Good, the Good Friday, Friday Accord- Accordions, but they play yes. Yeah, they oh, play There those. you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, the Good Friday fits. Um but yeah, so it's interesting to see the his a historically set piece from a time that we remember, and thinking about how it functions in respect to and regards to the events that it is sort of built over or built about. Sure, I mean um, I think I would yeah.
0: say that one of the one of the. Strengths of Dairy Girls is that it kind of resists, uh, treating the nineties in, in Dairy as a retro time, the, in the way that like Back to the Future treats the fifties as a retro time. Uh okay. you know, um, I, I mean, okay. this, well, well, it's just that like, what, what makes a time a retro time? Retro time data! Retro time! <laughs> what, what makes a time a, a retro time? Right? Like, and I think that it is, it is, um, how things kind of calcify in retro time. Uh, At least if I, if I am picking up what you're laying down, Pete, I may be misunderstanding the, the distinction you were trying to make, but like, um, uh, retro, the, the idea of kind of a retro time sort of flattens out, uh, uh, flattens out, you know, a a period of time to, to a set of, uh, you might call them like brand characteristics. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, like, oh, the, the, the fifties were, you know, poodle skirts and, uh, uh, Eisenhower, and you know, I don't know, like uh, like uh, aimless, you know, like uh, mind not mindless, uh, endless uh, uh, optimism on the part of of teenagers everywhere, and like ju- you know, dancing to the night and jukeboxes and malt shops and things like that. Well, yeah, but there was also like a a, a big war, <laughs> you know. There was also you know like uh, a lot of the a lot of the um kind of. The ups and downs, the vicissitude, and kind of the texture of a time gets drained out of it uh, when you consider it not sort of with historical subtlety, but as a as a retro time. At least that's how I was I was picking up what you were laying down, Pete. Did you mean something different by the by the distinction?
1: I totally love that you're saying that because it makes a lot of sense to me, and I think it's an important dimension of everything. Uh, I add that there. I wouldn't say in retrospect that I was speaking to something different per se, but I will suggest that there are um, elements particularly of the like art direction of a performing art piece that can be identifiable as like this is a period piece sure. as opposed to this is a piece that is happening in a time that's like recent and contemporary. Um, I, like, and, it, and it's interesting to see them done in comedies because they can become the basis for character. You can sort of see the character kind of work inward from the – superficial thing that might in its initial presentation be a characteristic of a period in in a cliche way but the character but i think one of the things that Daria girls does is it resists uh uh shoehorning the characters into the traits that identify them as from their time period and that potentially sort of answer the question why are we doing this now i'm thinking specifically about the mom's haircut
0: Mm. you know the the mom (laughs) mom has that like
1: she has that like wilson phillips feathered short haircut right (laughs) and she has the uh um the sort of short blonde uh cauliflower haircut of the eighties um, uh, that sort of f- f- fur ball on top. Uh, and she wears it with sweat sweatshirts, which I think was sort of the right way to go at the time. Uh, and, um, and, and I think that like, she could just be that haircut. She isn't, but when she shows up with that haircut, the way in which she looks silly is, is a sort of the distance that is being in, in, you know, endeavored upon both by the show being a comedy and also by, uh, it being a period piece. Uh, I, I mean, more or less, less exaggerated examples would include like the one girl has that sort of curly stringy black hair, which I think of as super of the time period. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's
0: Michelle, the character, Michelle played by Jamie Lee O'Donnell, but Michelle, yeah. the like, and I, I like associate it with, there's like some Madonna movies where she had that, you yeah. know, and a lot of like photographs of Madonna where she had that thing, even though it was probably like Madonna, probably i Probably like eight years off, five to eight years off, uh, too late for that. But, you know, I don't know. You think of the, you know, I'm from the bleeding edge. I'm not sure if you've, uh, not, not sure if I've ever mentioned it might take the uh, all that, all, all of our culture, which we manufacture here and that everyone else in the world laps up like, like pigs at a trough. Um, the, uh, you know, might take it some time to, to get across the Atlantic. I guess there's like
1: a certain amount of like desperately seeking Susan vibes. Yeah. That are sort of in the in the DNA of the visual vocabulary of these girls. But that makes sense because that's what they would be doing. You know, like that sort of stuff, that sort of fashion is is was there. Right. And It is funny. You talk about, well, I'm from the bleeding edge. So I know. Um, did I, I have I mentioned on the podcast yet that when I was a kid, I used to think that. Um Valley Girls were from the Pascack Valley in New Jersey. <laughs> That's funny. Which just happens to be close to where I grew up. I was like, oh yeah, the valley. <laughs> you know, that valley. No, 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 no. Valley girls are from a different <laughs>
0: But valley. was there was there a distinct species of like cultural, you know, like were teen girls in a particular way in the Pascack Valley?
1: I mean, they might have been. I didn't know them. Ah. <laughs> we're talking about when I was like eight years old or nine years old, ten years old. Um I don't think so. I think that the um Well, it was interesting, right, because the Valley Girl stereotype, as I experienced it as a child, was not attributed to, like, behavior. Like, I don't remember it being on the level of people talking about how people, like, acted or were, but almost exclusively about how they talked, as if that was all you needed to know about them. And all you, you know, all all you need to know in life and all you need to know is gag me with a spoon, Right? Like the uh the Sure, the like saying like vowels. the
0: uptight up talk and saying like a lot and all that yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. like, oh you're being a valley girl. I'm I also am thinking back to all of the like halloween costumes that i remember from kindergarten first grade second grade classmates who are like i'm a punk rocker and it was like a sort of purple tinsel wig right like there's something along those lines and the idea that that's how sort of punk rock was being interpreted by uh by the kids who were too young to have participated in this stuff but it kind of gone down through first an interpretation by their parents then an interpretation by them in the form of a halloween costume uh, which sort of feels like the relationship that the dairy girls have with American eighties culture that informs how they dress, uh, but only barely. Right. Um. So, yeah, I would say that, and also the way it's lit, it feels like a period piece. I think, I think that there's a sort of like way that the set is dressed that makes it feel like a period piece. Um, sure. Like it's a little bit darker. It's like, they don't have LEDs, you know, <laughs> like <they're, laughs> everything, everything's a little bit darker, a little bit softer. Um, but, yeah, but, yeah, I think that part of it is a comfortable distance from reality that also functions in the farce uh, that is being performed, right, um, in various times. Or more of the gags, I do say the farce, but, like, it works in the gags, you know, because part of what makes this funny is you kind of have to believe that the girls are never, like, really in serious danger. Um, like, they're at risk, but it's not like, oh, man, they're going to get, like, really, really badly hurt, Sure. Um, Like mortal. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: not like immediate mortal peril all the time. And that like, that's the thing that allows one of the big, the, the just big structural things that makes the show funny to operate, which is that they have, you know, normal kid, like dumb kid concerns, uh, not dumb kid concerns, but kid concerns, right. That are on on a different order of seriousness altogether than the, like the large, violent geopolitical struggle. I mean, i think in the the pilot episode isn't that one where like they're they're talking about about something you know that is relevant to teenagers on the bus and then they get like inspected by by uh, uh by soldiers with em- automatic weapons or something like yeah, that, it's just that
2: there's a there's a bomb scare
0: oh right there's
2: a bomb threat onto yeah. a major bridge and like everyone's immediate reaction is not you know like oh the peril oh the geopolitics it's oh how are we going to get to school oh how am I going to get to my tanning appointment? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, not, it's not just the kids, it's the adults as well. We're going to undercut the, you know, the, 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 the somberness right. of the whole thing. I, like on that, I just want to call it a couple of examples as well. If you haven't seen this show, you really owe it to yourself to do it. It's but so just to participate in the conversation though, like all of what we're talking about here was really well encapsulated in a few like things in, in the pilot episode. <clears throat> right. Let's start with like you know, the needle drop at the beginning Straight out of the bat, it comes at you with uh, the Cranberry song, Dreams, right? Yeah. It's like, Of course, you're going to have a song about the Troubles. You're going to have, you know, if you have a show about the Troubles, you're going to feature the music of the Cranberries. Just, if you don't have and, a show
0: about the 90s, you have to feature the music right? of the Cranberries. Yeah,
1: obligatory. Ironically, and, if you have a show about Cranberries, you're not going to use <laughs> Cranberries. It's going to be some folk group. It's going to be like so, a show Farewell or something. To, I don't
2: know. To, to like the retro time and like the Back to the Future conception of retro time that Matt was describing before, like – you think about a comparable needle, needle drop in that it would just be uh, Mr. Sandman, right? That's the first song I think from the fifties you hear one After Marty of Flight goes back to the future, and like a different kind of show would use the Cranberry song in that kind of way to like start to start, start to create a picture of like retro time nineties uh, Northern Ireland. Um, but this show doesn't do that because the other thing that that happens is like in, in a couple of the episodes is, is it starts and also ends with a very serious teen voiceover sounding like, you know, like I am a child of the crossfire and, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, in the time of violence, I choose peace. that and the other, but like, it's a gag, right? It's, it's one character reading from another girl's diary. And you're like, at first you're meant to think that this is a serious voiceover, but then it just like, it pans over to this like very strange and awkward teenage girl <laughs> reading from another strange and awkward teenage girl, girl, girl diary. Um, and uh, it, it, it 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 just works. Um, it, it's very funny. The whole show is is is, is uh, really uh, rides on the strength of its writing, the lightning quick um, joke delivery, and the gags, and kind of like the, the, the consistent tone. Um, where um, you know, as we've been talking about, right there is the serious thing in the background, um, which is important and not a non-entity, but um, you know, you see, you see it play out in funny and interesting ways in the daily lives of, of more or less regular people.
1: Yeah. That's one of the great ways to make jokes about history is just to remind everybody that people were alive during it, (laughs) 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 which is really the biggest joke of all, right? Which is that all this nonsense that we all get ourselves into is happening like while we're trying to live our lives, like as if living our lives isn't trouble enough, right? Like, then all of a sudden on top of that, there has to be history, which is crazy, And we've lived through a fair amount of history yet, and we're still a ways away from the uh, the period pieces. <laughs> I'm sure we have various contemporary uh, comedy accounts, but the the period pieces about the about the the championship season are going to take a little while to really coalesce. But
0: uh, oh, yeah, um, I mean, I guess the championship season the the obvious one. I mean, like the sort of defining moment you know international political geopolitical moment of our early adulthood was uh was the attack in the world trade center in 9-11 and mm, that like true. i'm not sure where the well actually there was a great i mean there has been some sort of comedy uh made about that like it none of it has to do with um like I was uh, the, uh so on September 11th uh 2001 I had parked behind Henry Hall. I'd parked in a parking lot that I was not supposed to be in and I had to move my car uh, in order to not get a ticket and uh, that's when I discovered about the awful things that were going on uh on uh, mm-hmm. on that day. Speaking of uh of like living your life through uh through through history. I can think of a couple of jokes uh about it like a couple comedians trying to to deal with it but like i can't i can't think of like a i don't know a um i i can't think of a, a like a television show that is uh, you know i don't know set itself but where where would you set it i guess right like well, where there, and there how? there was a
2: i don't know if you guys remember a few years ago someone's uh, spec script or fanfic uh seinfeld 9 11 episode
0: mm.
2: script was circulated um, and uh, it's it's probably what you would expect, right? You know, like it involves George in particular, like, you know, lying about how he was at, at the World Trade Center and was like a first responder and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, gets eaten up by his, his lie by the end of it. Um, I remember reading and thinking like, well, this is this is actually it's, it's decently well done. There's some funny stuff in here. Um, but but like more, more left open with the question of like, you know, under what circumstances could something like this get made? Right and you, know, you even put Seinfeld aside like, you know, uh, I don't know, like how I met your mother. Right. You know, The <laughs> a, a, a 2000s, 2010s comedy. Right. Did they ever do a nine eleven episode? I don't think so. Pretty sure they did. I'm going to go on a limb here and say they did not do that. I can't confirm
1: or deny it. I did not watch much How I Met Your Mother. I can neither confirm something. nor deny yeah. how I met your mother. Uh, I mean, the- meanwhile, the whole 15th season of How I Met Your Mother all takes place in real time and it's 24 episodes of the 24 hours of September 11th, 2001. And we just don't remember it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, you think, but you think about something like, like mash, right? Like is, is, is mash an interesting text to hear to, to talk about? Cause M- mash was set. Mash was a commentary on the Vietnam war set during the Korean war, uh, to give it, to give it that sense of kind of distance where, you know, where it's what Peter was talking about i mean it's it, you know that 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 distance is is interesting like you you assume that like one of the things about you know people the 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 funny thing about history is that people lived through it which is i you know i love that goes on that goes on the the fenzelian quotes wall um people were alive during it is that like, you're not your whole life is not, uh, about the, the, the particular thing, you know, you're trying to get your tanning appointment. You're not necessarily always like have the bomb scare in the front of your, uh, uh have the bomb scare in the in the front of your mind, but in mash they they were you know they were like a uh a, a medical uh unit like try- you know treating the the immediate uh consequences of a war going on so they they were in relationship to the thing uh to the thing all of the time but then like you know the the um the the comedy is is from the i don't know the ways in which they uh, defy or not, not make light of, but you know, I don't know, try uh, like, uh, endure, um, the situation and sort of the absurd, like, uh, an absurd, uh, how they cope. Uh, well, yeah, I was about to say, like, an absurd reaction to absurd, uh, circumstances, right? Like, the, the, I think of like the original Mash and like Donald Sutherland and uh, the, the, um, the, the film, you know, the Ullman film and like, like, but like, you know, walking around with the golf club and, and things like that. And that like it's Bob Hope or something. And, uh, like that's, you know, that, but that like the, the extent to which you, you are, it's, it's interesting. You could probably like plot these things on an axis, right? And the extent to which you are or are not always in relationship to, um, uh, to like the grand historical thing that's going on. And I guess like people in, people in the, uh, in the show have different, like fall in different places along that, that access, right? In Dairy Girls. In Dairy Girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, not in MASH so much, but in Dairy yeah. Girls, right? Like, whereas, you know, Erin is, is sort of always in relationship to what's going on, but because she's like a try hard, you know, uh, uh, like teacher's pet type of, uh, type of person, like, and always kind of Concerned about how she's being perceived, like very, you know, very insecure and always like feeling like she has to like, you know, hit the right notes about a particular thing. I think it's her diary in the thing that's like, I am a child of the, you know, uh, I'm a child of the violence. Whereas Orla is like not is just not into it at, <laughs> at all, has no, uh, you know, the kind of the the spacey friend, right? Like just has no relationship to uh, to real uh, to real events at all. And is just in a kind of uh, oh. spacey fantasy world of her own devising.
1: Oh, Orla. Got it. I was trying to remember which when you said real events, I was like, well, I mean, they're all real events. Oh, no, you mean that girl. Yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> Yeah, I, I got to the part where she passes her A levels and everyone is shocked. And it's like, no, she tests well <laughs> despite being, you know, <laughs> and just sort of trail off. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, it's it, it is interesting, right, that 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 the because what you know, what is a historical event is part of this whole thing too. Because, you know, Boys in the Hood is also sort of like a contemporary historical documents. Right. Like uh, not like Dairy Girls, because it's made in the time that it was going on. But it's like there's this epidemic of, you know, horrible, oppressive street violence and lawlessness that's being perpetuated by the authorities. And and everybody's ignoring it. And and all this, you know, people are getting, you know, children are getting shot in the streets. Um, and like, here's a movie that's really sad. That's about it. Uh, And it doesn't really paint the picture of this as being like Dairy Girls, where it's like the historical event is something that the kids can kind of ignore. But at the same time, that kind of casts a different idea as to what a historical event is. Uh, You know, I think that um, when we say historical event, even if you don't subscribe, subscribe particularly to the sort of notions of history that prioritize things like wars. um, I think that engaging with them in this sort of way is very common. You know, it's like, well, the big thing that's happening is the war. And so this story happens during the war. And, and like, even if you don't really think that the most in fact, especially if you don't think the most important thing that was happening in the world at the time was the war. You might then set the lives of ordinary people against the war in order to kind of cast into relief how absurd the war is as as at the same time as you're casting into relief how absurd the people are for living in relationship to it. Um Yeah. So it is interesting that that there's going through the examples of these sorts of phenomena as we were preparing for the podcast. There's so many variations on it. Hmm. There's so many variations of like and that's just in Don't Mess With the Zohan. There's like five variations <laughs> of it. <laughs> Where it's like, well, you see, it's really about the six-day war, but also it's something that's being perpetuated now. But then it's also about the immigrant experience from the people who are experiencing it. But they did it in the past, so that's really from the 80s. So then you're really talking about, you know, Anwar Sadat. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> remind and then also me, remind really us it's who, about 9-11. Right? Like, <laughs> remind,
0: remind us who is trying to mess with the Zohan.
1: Uh Well, that's who the 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 aforementioned Zohan is. Oh, so Don't Mess With The Zohan is a Adam Sandler comedy about uh, both the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and also the immigrant experience of Middle Easterners in New York City uh, post 9-11, I believe, Um, though I don't think that it is like particularly trenchant in its critique of any of these things. But it's uh, and it's also like
2: a a a Mossad agent turned uh, uh, hairstylist, right?
1: Yeah, it's an ex- it's an extreme case of the situation where it's like I was in the war and now the war is over and I want to leave and I want to go to this other place and I want to live a normal life. Except, of course, it's an Adam Sandler movie, so it gets blown way out in both directions. He wasn't just in the war. He was like an elite Mossad agent. Right. He doesn't just want a normal life. He very specifically wants to be like an elite hairstylist to the point where he like goes and sees Paul Mitchell and asks for a job as soon as he gets into town personally. Right. Like it's uh, and so everything gets blown way out. And it's I think part of the issue is like. Oh, like once all these people are in America, they realize that white supremacists hate all of them. right? So they have something in common. And so there's a sort of like there's like a terrorist and then there's I don't wanna, I don't want to get into it too much. The point being that like there that memory, like just the, the quintessential human problem that the person that you experience is not the person you remember, like gets written so much larger in. Period piece comedies, or like any sort of artistic piece that's set against the background of a historical event, even if it's one that's currently happening, right? Even if it's something that's happening now, but it has like a historicity to it, like you think it's important. um the fact that your life isn't what you remember it as also is just so important in creating this weird gap of human existence. Like the things that made you the things that you think made you happy are not necessarily the things that made you happy. And also, like you don't remember how obs- you don't accurately remember like how good or how bad the things that happened to you were, right because like something bad happens at the wrong time and your loss aversion kicks in, and it's the worst <laughs> right like uh, uh and that, that that is a common thread in a lot of these sorts of pieces where it's, like, it's interesting. you
2: know you mentioned that pizza and, and Matt correct me if I think the the uh, the third season episode that features the parents in the flashback addresses that kind of dead on right. Oh. Matt, do you remember what I'm
0: talking about? Yeah, I do. I mean, it was, I, yeah, Pete hasn't gotten to it, but I, so I wasn't going to. Oh, no, no,
1: by all means, go for it.
0: I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring it up, but the, the, there is one, there is an episode where you get a, a bit of a, a sense of what the parents were like as teenagers, uh, when they were dairy girls before they became dairy women. And the, uh, you know, i uh, it, God, the titles just write themselves, right? I'm not a dairy, I'm, I'm not a dairy girl, not yet a dairy woman. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, but that like, um, yeah, and, and that like, uh, this, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the fact that like actually there is the, it's, it's interesting to see an episode like this in a show that has in its backdrop some kind of ep- epochal change you know um right because tragedy is about how something changes uh, how something happens and nothing will ever be the same and comedy is about how everything is always the same um over and over and that's uh, uh right like to to juxtapose those those two things um together is uh is interesting and so there's a uh, like there is a um yeah there there's one i think it's the prom episode isn't it or the uh, whatever they i don't know what the uh, actual
2: uh, yeah they're, they're they're big senior year dance
0: right um yeah that, that's the uh that, that that that's the one and so like it is it is interesting in that it does it's it's also like a coming of age a coming of age show right like is about um is about uh a a point is like about a point of no return you know it's about like uh a time that that you know you you pass through a threshold and you can't you kind of Can't go back again. So it's, it's sort of anti-comedic in that, you know, in that particular sense. And when I say comedy, I don't mean funny here. I mean like structural, you know, comedy is like a, a storytelling structure. Um, the, the, you could imagine this on a continuum as well with like one end being the Simpsons where, you know, now whatever it is, 35 years later. Um, I mean, the Simpsons are older than the, uh, the Good Friday agreements, you know, uh, now 35 years later, they still reset to, uh, to their, um, you know the, the default state uh, at the end of at the end of every episode, but you can't do that in a, in a coming of age show. Um, sorry, sorry, Mark, I took that in a direction that that was probably different from where you wanted to go. With no, it.
2: no, no, just to talk about the coming of age. I actually want let's go in that direction. Like, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. The uh, the cyclical nature of comedy versus like the um the more like uh you know the coming of age and and then kind of the epochal change of of tragedy the show manages to do both in interesting ways right like the first two seasons in particular are very much about like the uh recurring hijinks of the students um uh, in in particular in in uh set in opposition to sister george michael who we just like have to just like give this have an amen sister george (laughs) michael that amazing character and that amazing performance Really right, crazy. yeah. <laughs> like they go at each other, you know, kind of time and time and again. You know, a lesson is learned, sort of, but also forgotten, and they're going to do it again over and over again. It's Um, Season three is when things really start to, to shake up, right? Um, and I'm going to kind of spoil something for you, you Pete here, but like the the this is also like uh, by the time they get there, um, you know, they're they're talking about you know going off to uni- one of the characters actually does go off to university um, to use the the terminology that they use over there um so there's that and but most importantly right you know the the events on the outside become inescapable at a certain point right mm-hmm. michelle the character who was just constantly going on about sex and drugs and you know and just uh you know the, the teenage behavior um has this moment where you know she just like really kind of breaks down how conflicted she is over this and uh, i the details of which escape me but it's like it's such very heavy stuff right it's like you know, like one of her family members was killed by someone who's gonna be let go as a prisoner, or like one of her family members is one of those prisoners, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, the the show like it, it feels you feel like by the time you get there, though, like it had to go there. And not doing that um would would have done the the entire premise a disservice. Um thankfully by the time you do get there, um you, you you've you've known the characters for long enough, and you've kind of gotten enough comedy along the way that um, it doesn't feel like such a a, a rug pull or um, a, a drastic change, which undermines the whole thing. And, and I'm sure that uh, that very serious moment was also juxtaposed against you know an episode that overall was still like very comedic and had lots of yeah. good jokes and like again silly Sister George Michael stuff.
1: The way the thing that comes to mind in terms of describing that phenomenon that you just were relaying in terms of this plot point. And again, I have like four episodes left in the show. So it's funny that it's like the things that I'm missing are the things that we're talking about, but it's totally fine. Uh, I I had my chance to finish it up and I didn't get there. I I will finish it soon. Um, Intimacy. You know, it's, I think that there's a lot of stories that happen against some sort of historical backdrop where somebody talks about, The historical backdrop in a really intense way that feels very forced and kind of silly and juvenile and reflecting on that as you're describing this scene that's coming up it's that when you're experiencing things like this you wouldn't just talk about that with just any random person and you wouldn't just bring it up on a random day it's the kind of thing that requires a fair amount of emotional vulnerability and uh and would have a certain amount of risk in it and so would be appropriate for an intimate relationship Right. Or a time of intense feeling, but particularly an intimate relationship. Um, You know, I'm going to talk about this thing that's happening with my family that's like much more dire than the stuff that I normally talk about. Why am I talking about it with you? Because we have an intimate relationship where we can share this sort of thing. And so I think one of the things that happens in shows like this is that you over time establish an intimate relationship with the characters as the show goes on. And then those sorts of intimate revelations feel more welcome and appropriate. Uh, but if they just come out the gates with it, it's like, come on, man! <laughs> like, like, uh, it's like, you know, it, I'm, I'm very glad that you're taking intro to playwriting, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> like, like I, I too, I think, I think I once wrote a play that was set against the backdrop of the September 11th attacks or something. It was terrible, and it never saw the light of day. I'm sure if I dug it up now, it would be just ghastly. Um, I, I was working on an outline
2: for an Iraq War musical. I mean, like, well, let's all just like you know, admit to our <laughs> terrible <laughs> crimes. from
1: you ever, our mean, you know, it, teens and twenties. I, I, I and I,
0: I I was just trying to move my car to a parking lot where I wouldn't get a, <laughs> where i wouldn't get not, a ticket
1: i'm not very, saying you were working on a september 11th musical on september 11th like while <laughs> it was happening that would be something i would later. I would almost respect your foresight in doing so <laughs> be like man this is really the thing everyone's going to want to do there's their uh their in, in 10 years i'm going to sell this samuel french script to every high school east of the mississippi right uh no no that's not how this uh that's not how the day presented itself
0: yeah and also, yeah the high schools east of the mississippi they don't uh they don't let you have drama programs anymore that's uh, uh
1: <laughs> that's why I picked east of the Mississippi guess well, you're thinking west of Mississippi yeah. it's really a distance from the Mississippi thing um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah yeah it's a, great yeah, it's, it's a uh, continuum the, the Mississippi itself a long continuum yeah. along which you know yeah. many many characters place themselves i mean sorry, the show
1: people. have have you guys watched any black adder? Cause that I feel like is like the definitive historical comedy that I can think of the one that sort of seems to set or break, the rules per se like what because are you, you familiar with the show at all Do you know yeah. what i'm talking I mean, about not I talking not, about not
0: for a long long time i i yeah. did it in my anglophilic uh 90s teen days when i had to go to like the british you know um like uh i had to go to like the british store in los angeles and buy like powell uh vhs tapes um, that way, you know, you had to have a special player to, to do them, but I did it so that I could get the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy tape and they had Black Adder too there. And that was my, my, you know, association with
1: it. Yeah. And so like, it, this is, this is Mark, you're not familiar with it at all. I'm not, no. Yeah. So this is a four series or season, but they're really series. They're sort of different self-contained stories, uh, starring Rowan Atkinson, AKA Mr. Bean as the same character vaguely but in four different historical epochs that are that are all basically comedies about him being a sort of low, sniveling, self-concerned, you know, uh, you know undutiful, not respectable person in, in, in a place of authority in each of these four historical uh, eras. Uh, one is the Middle Ages. One is the Elizabethan era. Uh, one is uh, the Regency, the French Revolution, you know, sort of late 18th, early 19th century. Uh, and then the last is World War One. Um, And uh, the very, very end of the very last season of Blackadder is this heart wrenching scene uh, where they all get sent up over the top uh, to die in in an assault on a German position in World War One. And it's so sad. Um, but you have to get there, you know, like you have to kind of like go on this journey and kind of establish this intimacy with the premise and the, and the characters as they kind of keep coming back at different historical eras and kind of sympathize with their situation. Uh, and then, and then it sort of opens up and you kind of see a relationship between the history and the person that's like so intense that it can't really be the thing that they're really talking about all the other times that they're talking. It's just too much.
2: Um, is it is it inevitable, though, like, or is there any is like, can you conceive of a different version of the show where the thing ends with, I guess, the equivalent of to use another British comedy thing? Right. Always look on the bright side of life.
1: I mean, it's you possible it's like, they could cancel it any time. But <laughs> but yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. I it's not inevitable at all. I don't I think it's a very daring and unusual ending for a television show. Um, I mean, it's it's a very it's Hugh Laurie, isn't it, too, a.k.a. House um, uh, and Stephen Fry as well um so uh, a little fry and laurie for you in there too a lot of good people a lot of good comedians are in it but yeah i mean like it's a lot you of good comedi- we lost
0: a lot of good comedians that day you know i that,
1: mean so okay so but this is a good question right so because so what you brought you brought up the monty python ethos of calling out absurdity in a counter-cultural way right, right. and i think that that's i think counterculture Sorry. is a word that is not used enough to describe things that are happening i feel like there, that we could get a lot of mileage if we remember to call things countercultural uh at least self-consciously so uh that like that i think in their in their satires and critiques of things like you know the british you know the british government institution you know ministry of silly walks and all that uh you know monty python is really digging into a overarching kind of a, attempt at a, at a at a paradigm at a paradigm shift you know like like it's just a the, there's, I guess what I would say is that there is not a distance or dissonance between how they see the historical eras that they talk about and, like, what they have to say about them. You know, like, like it's not like, oh, yeah, we really do appreciate that, like, you know, the birth of Christ was a very serious thing. Uh, but we're going to show a bunch of people living their regular lives around the birth and life of Jesus Christ because we want to remind everybody that history is, you know, just what's remembered and not what was lived. No, that's not what they're talking about, right? Like, like uh, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is not about, like, their, uh, you know, the sort of quibbles and foibles of the knights of the round table during our third, the time of Arthurian legend. It is also a, you know, full-on postmodern deconstruction of Arthurian legend. Uh, and even beyond that, to the point of absurdity and beyond. Right. So it's like, that's not what Blackadder is. Blackadder is not like, you know, hey, you know, the Elizabethan era was a, well, everything about the Elizabethan era that you think was like special or important is all pap. Everybody is stupid. We all don't know what we're doing. There's a moose. Right. Like that kind of thing. Um, and I don't want to diminish it by calling it that. But I think that's a, a crisp way of summing up uh, what is, of course, often very complicated and nuanced uh, you know, critiques of various things uh, by Monty Python. And of course, I don't want to assume that like, the process of making a comedy show is itself the same as the process of making a cultural critique. But the point being that like, Black Adder exists in contrast to your expectation of the historical era, which means to an extent your expectation of the historical era has to be maintained. And I think Dairy Girls is similar. The Dairy Girls exist in contrast to what you would expect to see in a show about the troubles, which you would expect to have show up in like some sort of like nominated, but didn't win the award kind of prestige drama neck of the woods. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, you would expect it to be really washed out and like not like hard to watch. Everybody is really sad all the time. Right. But it's like, yeah, that exists, you know, there's troops and checkpoints and people's cars getting blown up and this sort of dread that kind of permeates everything. and makes everything not fun. Um, but the Dairy Girls exist in contrast to that and they're setting it off. And by setting it off, they're also kind of like showing how it sets us off. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what I would I would suggest that, like, there are historical comedies that are trying to take some sort of principle that's associated with the historical event and like double down on it i'll go back to what matt said that Stuart lee said about right what are we exaggerating you're this is the thing that's true about this time that we believe is true about this time let's just take it to 11 sure right and that's going to be our comedy right like um well that's uh, yeah what? that's
0: that the the what the Stuart lee quote i think you're referring to is he said you know either either you exaggerate a perceived truth for comedic effect or you take a contrary position and you exaggerate that uh, you know, for a comedic, comedic effect. And then he looks at the audience and says, I'm sorry that I've ruined all comedy for you now. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so I, w- I mean, I would divide up just on impulse, the historical, historical critique relationships into, in comedies in particular, into like, the historical moment was funny. This is why it was funny. Let's like exaggerate it and blow it out. And two is like, the historical event was meaningless and everything that you think about it was important it needs to be totally torn up. And so we're going to exaggerate everything about it that runs counter to the expectation in the ways that we are, are see this sort of counter to the expectation. And then the third one is to set up a contrast between the historiographical narrative you know, of the historical event and then the life of the people associated with it uh, so that they can play off against each other so that you can do both, so that you can both kind of like you know, show the historical event for what it is or for what you think it is and exaggerate it when it happens, but also like exaggerate the opposite, you know, exaggerate the small trivial things in relationship to the big, important things, and then calling into question what's big and important, what's small and trivial. Um, I guess that's, that's, that's just a tax. I mean, again, classification is what you do when you don't know the truth, right? It's a, it's a poor excuse for understanding. Um, But that's how I would partially classify it, I think.
2: Yeah. Where would you put Hogan's Heroes? Man, (laughs) Hogan's Heroes.
1: Hogan's (laughs) Heroes is something else, right? Um, So, Hogan's Heroes is wild. The the mere existence of Hogan's Heroes is crazy. Of course, and and as I was pointing out when we were prepping for the show, Hogan's Heroes came out less time after the closure, the involuntary closure of the Nazi prison camps, than now is from 9 11. So, it was pretty soon that it happened, right? It's 20 years, uh, but it was pretty soon. And yeah, so, lots ex- of people yeah. who like were like you know who were POWs in German
2: prison camps were watching the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So it's a show about inept German prison guards who I believe are often played by Jewish actors, uh, like sat- like just just tearing up Nazis um, in their uh, in their performances, and and a an American special forces unit of prisoners who are like operating fully within the prison camp. Uh, because the uh, because the the Nazi officers are so incompetent that they're incapable of stopping them from doing so, um and uh and of course it takes so yeah it's a sitcom that takes place in a Nazi prisoner of war camp during World War II and it is the longest running television show about World War II that ran on, on television I believe or at least like a like a fictionalized show uh, about World War II that ran it uh, it ran for six years um and and it has. Uh, uh, six seasons and a, a whole bunch of episodes and it's very goofy i would say the thing about hogan's heroes is that it preserves the idea that the american troops are there to like win the day it is not just about the foibles of living in a prison camp um it is also about how like the americans are like smart and capable and the nazis are like morally bankrupt and stupid um for what they choose to do so there's an element of it that stays in that like here's how we think it actually went, right? Like the Americans went to Germany and sorted it out, right? That's how we think it went. And the Germans were cruel and stupid in how they were managing things and bestial. And the Americans were smart and attractive and awesome. And so like, we're gonna make a show that makes the Americans like super awesome um, to the point of ridiculousness and then makes the Germans like super stupid to the point of ridiculousness. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that you are, Really trying to tear down the sort of menace and terror of of like the lenny reefridge saw aesthetic uh in general like you're sort of doing a similar sort of project to uh inglorious bastards and in that you're engaging with the, the visual language so. of the propaganda and you're trying to detangle it a little bit um you're trying to like uh make it you know you're trying to like make it mayberry uh you know you're trying to level it. but at the same time like it's kind of important to keep it as this other and this enemy, but you, you're also trying to kind of like take the teeth out of it, right, um, by taking the piss out of it. Um, and so in that case, you are doing more of a Monty Python thing by making this absurd POW camp that like doesn't operate the way any real POW camp would. And then the latter – you're not – I don't think Hogan Heroes feels realistic enough. To really make it feel like the lives of everyday people, but the fact that the actors are very clearly regular people who are wearing costumes, <laughs> as opposed to like trying to create the very two of characters, does offer like a small element of that. But I would say it's mostly the first two. I would say I haven't watched a lot of it in a long time, um, but it's uh, um, the the shows back then. The historical sitcoms of the '60s and '70s are weird, man. Uh, do you ever watch any F Troop, man? That's a weird show, man. That's a weird show. I liked it a lot when I was a child. Um, but man, I'm sure it, I can't think of things that would hold up worse. That's a
0: wild west show, right?
1: It's a show. It's a show about an American fort on the frontier where there's a lot of interaction oh. between the American military and Native Americans. And, oh. Uh, oh. Oh, and huh. I liked it because it had that one guy in it who made lots of funny faces. Um, and it was a show that straddled like black and white in color. Uh, Larry Storch. And that, that's another sort of weird thing that happens in comedy, right? Is like, I liked when I was like, you know, 10, I would watch F Troop at my grandparents' house. And like, it was on, you know, whatever, whether it was, it wasn't even Nick at Night at the time. They had it on VHS, I'm sure. And like, Larry Storch is a very funny comedian and a very funny performer. I mean, he's no longer with us. He died just last year at the age of 99. He had a long run. Um, but he's like, I, when you think about a comedian that a kid would really like, like he's I mean, he's uh, he's like how I would describe a comedian that you would expect a kid to like lots of funny faces, lots of goofy, low status characters, lots of times when it's like this is the fun guy and everyone else is being lame. Right. Even though he's stu- to the adults, he's the stupid one who isn't accomplishing anything. You know, it's like it's like, you know, the Michelangelo of the Ninja Turtles, not the Raphael. Right. Like he's like the the the, the wacky, the wacky one. I mean, he's he's Dave Coulier. Right. Of the show. Um, but, but more, more, more so more than, than, uh, uncle Joey ever really was. Um, and, but then it's like, oh yeah, there's a white guy wearing native American face makeup and this is really offensive and we can't watch the show anymore. <laughs> right. So it's like, man, what a, what a, what a wasted talent, right? Like what, a, um, and it's not like the actors, you know, uh, especially back in the day, uh, have a whole ton of like, well, you know, I'm morally above this job that will give me food, <laughs> like, uh, um, that kind of thing. Uh, nor was the time sophisticated enough, but like I'm sure you could admire the people who didn't do F Troop if you'd like. I'm sure the people who did F Troop would agree with you um, in retrospect, although they're now like 100 years old. Um, but yeah, but it's like in that case, in that case, I think you bring yourself into another event where it's like I would not count comedies about the Wild West. As against a historical backdrop, really, because really, they're all just about movies about the Wild West. In this case, it's all like stagecoachy Westerns that are in this sort of older time when people were really very comfortable with the white supremacist narrative of like the cavalry coming to drive off the Indians. Right. Like um, uh, in a way that hopefully fewer people are comfortable with now. Um, But uh, but like. I don't know, like I don't think of Back to the Future three as a period drama. <laughs> 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 I don't think of Westworld as a period piece. Right? Like I don't think of uh I mean I know and I think Bri- I don't think Bridger- of hundred ways Bridgerton. to die in the West. Yeah. Sorry, you were
0: you were keeping example. it just in the old in the no, old no, no. west. Did
1: you, you do you watch and enjoy Bridgerton?
0: I mean I watched it.
1: Yes, yeah, I, I, mean, enjoy I, I, no, I, I enjoyed it. No, I enjoyed
0: it also. I'm, of- I'm sorry. I'm trying to, I, uh, you know, it was, uh, who knew that the actress who played Claire on, on Dairy Girls, right? Would become the one of them who like becomes a breakout star in other, uh, you know, in kind of more, um, high profile movies and things like this you know, international things like, like Bridgerton. Oh, is she in both? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know she, that there
1: was a dairy girl who was in Bridgerton.
0: No, yeah. She's a, there's a dairy girl in, in Bridgerton. She shows up rather sens- sensationally. Um, I mean, that is to say her, her role is a sensational one, uh, w- by which I mean there is sensation assorted, associated <laughs> with her role. And
1: uh, Oh, it's that one. I in, just looked it up. In Bridgerton. This is, this is Nicole Coughlin. Uh, Nicola Coughlin.
0: Nicola. Yeah. And that, um, and she's, I guess also IMDb tells me she's going to be in Barbie, uh, as well. So oh. she's doing, um, the, the Greta Gerwig Bar- Barbie movie. So she's doing, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny that she would be the one of those kids to, to break out because she was very much the kind of the best friend. Uh, you know, secondary character in the, in the, the Dairy Girls show. But, um, yeah, it's sort of like thinking about, but I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking of, of, uh, historical things that, that we look like. I feel like with Bridgerton, it's gone to a kind of Baroque place, uh, not oh, yeah. the Baroque, not the Baroque period, uh, you know, <laughs> it's the Regency period, but the, uh, it, it, yeah. But, uh, but like it's, it's gone, it's gone to a place where the difference from, the difference from historical reality is uh, is like part of the explicit point you know yeah. rather than being yeah rather than being simply an artifact of the uh, an artifact of the time in which the the thing was produced and the kind of the conditions it was created under no probably the more the more interesting thing would be to talk about and we, we we've left I mean when, once you go to stagecoach right you've left left the realm of comedies but like the difference between stagecoach or the the other John Ford w- westerns and then like you know the searchers later or uh McCabe and mrs Miller something like that like where like your your uh your cowboy show is now like Warren Beatty in a- an enormous fur coat. Uh, and a bowler hat, you know, like walking, walking into town. And that's like, uh, it's, it's gone, you know, it's gone to a, to a completely different place, which I, I, you know, is, is a different way of doing the kind of like disruptive countercultural historical, uh, you know, historical commentary, um, from, uh, from always look on the, always look on the bright side of life. You'd, you'd think that like you wish the, the pythons had done, um, a wild west uh a wild west type of thing uh and then you think wait no no that's not their country right like that's not their story they did you know um uh the holy grail and that's that's appropriate because it's in the you know the their kind of the myths of their their own uh background and self-conception and you know well who did the who did the funny uh who did the funny western and uh, i refer you to um the three amigos <laughs> Uh, by uh, you know Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and and Martin Short, and there there's one where even you know even at the time there's a there's a kind of double lens perspective because the actors play Western uh, movie actors of a particular time who are you know not um, who who it turns out are are hilariously unfit to uh, actually function in the, uh, is, in the Matt, is this wild a west. bit
2: where you're, you're talking about something that's not blazing saddles. So you can talk about blazing saddles.
0: Um, no, there's no other, there's no other film in which, uh, frontier or wild west things have been depicted in a humorous way. It, uh, there's no other film uh, other than, okay. other All than right. the three amigos. Uh, that's the one mark the the one (laughs) film
2: the thing is like we're approaching the hour hour mark and and uh we're just now talking about blazing saddles like you know we can't really open up that whole can of worms the second
0: or that whole other thing that whole can of beans certainly don't open up Mm, that can of mm, beans mm. especially if you're eating them around the fire
1: so um so about dairy girls can i can i take one can i take a tangent are we out of time do we i can't take a new tangent now or um, there's something I wanted to sort of drive a stake into potentially, uh-huh. and I feel like I waited too long, but I want to kind of talk about it because I feel – like, Is it a is vampire?
0: Is it a vampire? <laughs> oh, someone see it to the weigh-ins.
1: So um, w- even as recently as 10 years ago or so, I feel like it was really common to hear people complain – and people still do complain about this and people complain about everything uh, – that women aren't funny, right? And um, there is, and I wanted to discuss briefly, very briefly, the relationship between Dairy Girls and some of that discourse. Um, not in terms of what they think about it, because I don't care, but rather there, like, there is, there's a particular piece that I think is historically very interesting and useful, but also horrible. Um, that was written in 2007 in Vanity Fair by the uh, the the essayist, I suppose, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, where he talks about why he thinks women aren't funny. And and the thing that struck me when I read this, because I was in comedy and the comedy scenes for a long time and really encountered this sort of attitude and kind of backlashes against it a lot in ways that I found generally baffling and like didn't really get uh in terms of like practice like none of it made sense to me in practice and it just seemed like people being jerks to each other but that this was the best this piece was the best explanation of how i could see somebody might come to that conclusion because it is totally obsessed with the role of women in reproduction like the whole article is like totally obsessed with like mating strategy and it sort of says that like oh being funny is a mating strategy and like women don't have to be funny because they don't need it as a mating strategy and the idea that like the funny women are the women who aren't 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 feminine with the idea and i come away from thinking like this is a guy who like feels like mothers are like sacrosanct and thus can't be laughed at right um and so this is relevant to Dairy Girls, I think, because it is hugely important for the success of the show that they are not chasing boys the entire show. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's yeah. one of the things that makes the show stand out to me. There should be more shows that stand out to me like that in my memory than there are, especially recently, where they are like, and again, I I also don't watch a lot of comedy starring young people. So like I don't, you know, I don't know what is sort of the cutting edge out there, but like my sense watching Dairy Girls is, OK, this is a group of, you know, young women who are doing a lot of stuff that does not involve dudes. And like and like not even at the point of the whole Bechdel test thing, like we're on the next level of that where it's not even a consideration. Right. And and I think that the the critically important thing that this does is that, you know, it allows the mess ups and the vulnerability and like the foibles and the relationship to society. And maybe it's that's what it is. It's a it's a relationship to society rather than an instrumental purpose in society. Like the dairy girls are not there to become dairy women. I, I'm at the uh which I think is a really important point um in in the show. I think I mean, that's also in the episode I'm currently on, which is the episode where they take their A-levels. Uh, they take their exams where it's like, oh, my God, can you imagine what would happen if we could never leave? Like what we would become. Like it, it has been a foregone conclusion that they are all trying to figure out some sort of individuation, some sort of sense of themselves that exists separately from all the stuff that they grew up around, which to a small extent is the Troubles and to a large extent is their mothers. Right. Like, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and that to the extent that the characters really thrive as, as comic characters and funny characters, I think that the toxic curse would be if they were like boy crazy all the time. Right. Because that would put it back into Christopher Hiddens idea of like being funny is all about mating. Right. And it's like, dude, I don't know what you're doing, like, but but do it somewhere else. Uh, in terms of the smell, the sort of smell of uh, Dracon Noir that's coming off of this conversation. <laughs> but uh, and I know I bashing an article uh, from like 15 years ago that nobody's read except for me. But I thought about it a lot watching this show of like, man, you know, I'm kind of glad he didn't live to see this show that's so thoroughly bad, like just destroyed everything that he wrote about it uh, in, in retrospect. But yeah, the idea that like the Dairy girls are not your mom when she was a kid. They are not also like your fantasy of your next, the girl next door. Right. Dudes, you know, they are, they have their own, I mean, even just the way that they talk, you know, the, the sort of uh, mannerisms um, ha, has real comic like meat to it. Uh, the gears are turning, right? Stuff's really good. So, so I just wanted to point that out that like um, um, it is definitely possible to go back and think about shows that tried to show teen girls as funny and failed because they saw teen girls as mostly, like, future moms, um, you know, or as sexual objects. Uh, and and it is it is more to the show's credit, practically as a comedy, than you might think that that's not what it's doing. And it shouldn't be a foregone conclusion that it's not doing that. Uh, or it, should be, it shouldn't be something that we have to talk about. But I feel like I want to and have to talk about it, um, because uh, it should not be controversial, should not be an issue. But, um, I mean, you know, even just the stuff of, like, we're, we we want to go stand in the front row when Bill Clinton visits, right? Like, like we the president's coming to town and we want to have good seats, right? Like, like it's not hard to come up with topics that people care about that don't have to do with dating, right? Like it, it's just think about things that people do, right? Like, um, and, and it can be so paralyzing. I think when you kind of sit down to try to piece these things out, if you get so caught up in that life, um, that sort of like trying to define people by where they fit in, uh, in courtship and and stuff
0: sure um, i mean "Derry Derry girls created written by the by the playwright lisa mcgee right and i think that that certainly part of giving a lie to the you know ridiculous on its face christopher hitchens notion is that uh, uh part of giving the lie you know is is that there are more women making television shows, right? Like kind of heading yeah. up, heading up television shows. Uh, and not all of them, you know, Shonda, not all of them are Shonda Rhimes. Uh That, that like, uh, that is to say there, you, you couldn't like the, the, even in a, in a show that, that, you know, wanted to show, I don't know what, like freaks and geeks or something like that, that wanted to show, um, the characters as individual people. I mean, there is, there is some of the, like, the creator's perspective that, that just like creeps in, you know, to the, um, that creeps into the, uh, to the perspective that you have on some of those characters. Yeah. And, uh, this is, this is, is you're, you're right in, in that it's, this is kind of refreshingly absent of yes. a lot of that stuff. Yeah.
1: Ramona Flowers is the least funny character in the Scott Pilgrim books. <laughs> because she exists as like an instrument for courtship and reproduction, right? Like and like and that makes her not funny because what all she exists to do is like very high stakes and threatening, right? Like and and so she can't have any social relationships with people that are meaningful, right? Like or any like vulnerability or authentic human quality to satirize. Um, it's not just a thing that happened in old stuff um and i mean if we had more time i would start going i could, we could go through the individual dairy girls and that how they're constructed as comic characters and like what it is that their their sort of core proposition is their sort of core uh character traits that then interact with the situations that they all get put in well it's leave- a pretty complicated show there's like a lot of moving parts in this show yeah uh all the different perspectives and stuff it's it's very well crafted very well done
0: let's uh let's leave all that as an exercise yeah. for the uh for the listener uh, and leave our conversation there so everyone thank you for listening to uh to us talk about uh, historical uh historical comedy and dairy girls in particular pete and mark thanks for podcasting uh about it with me now now i i think the bridge is open so i can get to my tanning appointment now so i'll, uh, <laughs> I'll leave it i'll leave it there and we'll uh, be back next week with more overthinking podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny.
1: It, it probably, probably, probably Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't
0: deserve.
1: deserve I thought we were all going to go with the Irish accent We, didn't, we weren't going to go with the Irish accents on that one